Greetings, my fellow wayfarers on this road of life. Welcome back to the Wayfarer Podcast. Today's chapter a day is Exodus 22. And oh, my goodness, we're getting into all the nuts and bolts of uh, 3,500-year-old laws and rules about life for the Hebrew people. And it's it's easy to kind of glaze over and not find the nuggets of truth that are right there if we have the eyes to see them. Uh, What I picked out today is the 21st to the 24th verses. It says, You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. You shall not abuse any widow or orphan. If you do abuse them, when when they cry out to me, I will surely heed their cry. My wrath will burn, and I will kill you with the sword, and your wives shall become widows and children orphans. Now, I find it fascinating as I read the laws of Moses in today's chapter that the Hebrews were commanded by God to take care of foreigners living among them and to take care of socially and economically disadvantaged groups within their society. By the time Jesus arrived on the scene some 1,500 years later, The temple in Jerusalem had become a religious racket, which is why Jesus drove the currency exchange vendors out of the temple. The religious system prescribed through Moses had become an institution that made money for the chief priests and religious leaders who then leveraged their power and authority to line their own pockets at the expense of their own people, while they prejudicially looked down their noses on anyone who wasn't one of them. Those yeah, those, those foreigners they're supposed to take care of, they uh, pushed them away and didn't pay any attention and didn't take care of them. They religiously kept the rules that made them look pious while finding excuses for ignoring those that might require real compassion and generosity. Now, one of the reasons the early Jesus movement grew so rapidly was the fact that Jesus' followers were radically challenging the social structures of the day. Now, at that point, after Jesus died, rose again, ascended into heaven, for those first couple hundred years, there were no church buildings. Followers of Jesus met in homes around the supper table. And at that table, everyone was welcome to sit together, both women and men, Jews and non-Jews, even slaves were welcome to sit at the table with their own master. How weird would that be? Now, beyond that, the followers of Jesus began taking care of those who were socially and economically disadvantaged in that society, including widows and orphans and lepers. So now, fast forward, when Christianity became the state religion of Rome, The Jesus movement became a powerful religious and political institution almost overnight. Now, the good news is that Christians would no longer be persecuted and fed to the lions in the Roman circus. The way was paved for sincere teachers and theologians and followers of Jesus to meet together and to debate and to establish core doctrines. With the authority of the Roman Empire, there was an opportunity for real change. Interestingly enough, what followed was ironically similar to the very things Jesus criticized in the religious leaders of his own people. The movement moved from the supper tables in people's homes to churches and cathedrals, which required a lot of money to build. 
generosity to the disadvantaged groups was curtailed as funds were shifted to lining the pockets of church leaders and their churches and building their residences. Women were once again diminished as male dominance was established within the institution. Those who threatened the emerging orthodoxy, like the Desert Fathers and Mothers, uh, the uh, the early forebears of the monastic movement, they were branded heretics and either killed or forced to flee. Leadership positions in the church suddenly became positions of socioeconomic and political power that were bought, sold, and traded by rich, powerful, and connected families. And that's how we eventually ended up with an 11-year-old pope. True story, Pope Benedict IX. In the quiet this morning, I find myself asking a lot of questions. Our local gathering of Jesus followers here in Pella, Iowa, has spent the last year grappling with the megatrends we're seeing in our culture and our world. There are fewer and fewer individuals claiming to be Christians. Churches, especially here in rural and small-town America, are closing for lack of members. Christianity is no longer wholeheartedly accepted as the prevailing cultural worldview in our culture. And there is open and growing antagonism as the historic sins and failings of the church institutions spark anger and resentment in many circles. Meanwhile, around the world, Christians are being persecuted and killed without earning much attention at all. Now, as a follower of Jesus, I find myself wondering if all of this is simply going to lead Jesus' followers back to our roots. The history of the Hebrews and the history of Christianity both reveal to me that when the heart of God's message to care for strangers and aliens and disadvantaged groups is lost amidst the desire for social influence, economic power, and political power within our communities and within our own groups, then there is a loss of spiritual potency and even legitimacy. I can't help but believe that the loss of cultural prominence is actually the road back to spiritual progress. The way of Jesus has always been about letting go, giving up, leaving behind. The diminishment of self for the gain of others is not an optional path for those followers of Jesus who just want an advanced spiritual placement. No, the dis. The diminishment of self for the gain of others is foundational to being a follower of Jesus at all. Jesus said, whoever does not take up the cross, and what's the cross? The cross is is the method of execution on which you are going to be executed. Jesus carried his cross, the, the means to his own death. He had to carry it. And he says, whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. I think that this truth has been lost, and I confess, as I reflect on my own journey, it's clear that I'm as guilty as anyone. This morning, I find my heart and mind returning to yesterday's post. I want to stop being an ally 
to Jesus' teachings and become an accomplice in putting them to work in tangible ways. That's it. That's what I'm thinking about. I hope you will be blessed today. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow.